Let's pray together. Oh, Father, what a beautiful, beautiful prayer. The last prayer to pray on a journey that this school year has been. We pray those words with all that is within us. But, oh God, somehow, beyond the prayer, teach us the life. We need Jesus. We ask for Him. We wait upon Him now in Holy Scripture. In His name, Amen. For this last Sabbath of the semester and for the university school year, our sermon today is entitled, The Community of the Twisted Kiss. I realize that it's springtime on campus and that at long last the kiss has come out of winter's lengthy hibernation. I wear blinders when I go by Lamson Hall now. Nobody needs a sermon on a passionate kiss. So this sermon is not entitled The Community of the Passionate Kiss. We do that well. This is The Community of the Twisted Kiss. The title is borrowed from a moving, moving story that Dr. Richard Seltzer, a surgeon, relates in his book Mortal Lessons. There are times when I will go to my library and I will pull that story out and I will simply read it to myself. So touching is this tale. And I want to share it with you. In order to remove a tumor, he has had to cut open a young woman's cheek. It's now evening. He steps into the room. And there in the shadow, she and her young husband are visiting. It's right here. That he picks up the story. I'll let him describe the moment. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh I promise you that, he's describing himself, nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily? The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful, 
He bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers to show her that their kiss still works. The community of the twisted kiss. Because God knows there isn't a one of us here who hasn't had a nerve cut. There isn't a one of us here who has not had a heart broken. God knows there isn't a one of us here who hasn't deeply and sometimes desperately needed someone, anyone, please, to embrace us in our pain, to bear our heavy burden, to kiss our twisted life and thus create what we need most deeply of all, the community of the twisted kiss. A community that is powerfully summarized in a single line in Scripture. I wish you'd open your Bible to the New Testament. Tiny little book. But oh my, does it punch with power. It's packed with a punch. A little book of Galatians. Can you find Galatians? Paul wrote it to a church of new Christians. What wonderful counsel he gives to a third millennial church that must begin its journey now beyond this day of closure. Beautiful line. Just a single line. That's all we're going to note together today. Just one line. Galatians chapter 6. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. Galatians chapter 6. Whatever Bible you have, and those of you who are watching on television, we'll put the line on the screen in just one moment. Galatians chapter 6. Drop down to verse 2. Just one line. Here it goes. Bear one another's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The community of the twisted kiss. A community that bears each other's burdens. See? Am I my brother's keeper? Yep, you are. A community where you'll be embraced when your nerve is cut. And you'll be kissed when your life is twisted. How's it go? Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Here's the question. Are we such a community? Am I such a friend? Am I? In the final issue of the student movement, which just, which just came out this week, I like to read the student movement, the last issue. There's a piece here written by Lieutenant Don Bishop. He's of our campus safety department. I want to tell you something, folks, about the Campus Safety Department. It has to be one of the thankless jobs on this campus, preserving order, checking doors, patrolling the campus, and stopping speeders, etc., etc. And I know we try to keep them out of that business. I haven't been following all the letters to the editor in the student movement, but uh, over the years I've noticed that the Campus Safety takes its fair share, perhaps its unfair share of hits. You know, there are always some people around who say, pick, 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 pick. Somebody always has to complain. And, well, Don Bishop, in fact, not, not this week's edition, but a few weeks earlier, he wrote, a, he wrote a piece that caught my eye. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. And he said, look, as I listened to the Sermon Sabbath entitled My Brother's Keeper, I couldn't help but think of my own department and the rest of the team members who work for the safety department. 
The sermon spoke of how as Christians we're commissioned to reach out our hands in fellowship to all our brothers and sisters across our university campus and beyond and that we are indeed each other's brothers and sisters. Well, he said, I got up from my knees this morning with the prayer that I and we at the safety department would represent Christ in every opportunity we have to contact someone. I pray that we would take every opportunity to go the extra mile, to be prepared to help people with their needs, to explain the local laws and the university policies with patience and professionalism. Well, I guess sometimes you can be misunderstood even when you have that, that, that earnest and intention. And so something happened this last week. I don't know what it was. But Don is feeling, he's feeling discouraged. Now he has to go over to the ad building here with a little bit of business. Hence the column on the back page of this final issue of the student movement <clears throat> for this year. The student movement's done a wonderful job this year. Proud of, proud of the team. All right, he's had a discouraging moment. Now he's describing it. It was during one of those moments that I strolled into the administration building and up to the second floor. I was there to drop something off that was very insignificant. But before I left, I picked something, picked up something extremely significant. In a casual conversation with a member of the human resources team, she stated that she was praying every day for me and others who work with me that we wouldn't get discouraged or burned out. Wow. She has encouraged me once before, but this day I really needed to hear that. God reached out and said to me, through her and others in the departments on the second floor, that He loves me and that He is with me when I need Him. How did Paul put it? Bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that woman, I don't know who she is, but she's on the second floor. Check her out this next week. If you're discouraged, make sure you walk through that floor. Whoever she is, she fulfilled the law of Christ. Don walked in there feeling down and in the dumps. And she just by a word, a single sentence, lifted him right off the ground and he walked out on air. Bear one another's burdens and you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's the community of the twisted kiss. Are you in trouble? Well, I'll match my life to fit yours. I'll share that with you. Where a simple act of kindness and a simple prayer of intercession can lift someone else's, lift the burden away. Hallelujah. Now, the Swedes have a saying, I'm one-eighth Swede, so I need to keep, keep particular attention to these Proverbs that come out of Sweden. They have a saying that goes like this. Shared joy is double joy, and shared sorrow is half sorrow. You like that? Aye, look, look. When you share my joy, you double it. When you share my sorrow, you cut it in half. The community of the twisted kiss. Oh, it helps. It just helps. When somebody else bears my burden with me. For me sometimes. I got a letter from my friend Clark Rowland, who is a physicist here on campus. He sent me an email the other day. And... Uh, you know, he said, Dwight, I want to tell you something. You remember the other day, a few Sabbaths ago, I read a letter from somebody who was hurting badly and said, I, I get no care. Nobody cares for me around this parish. You remember that? Clark wrote to me and said, Dwight, I, I want you to know that we have not experienced it that way in this parish. 
In fact, as I want to tell you a story, I got his permission to read this to you. A few lines from this. Dwight, it's been 22 years, but it seems like yesterday. Bonnie and I learned about our compassionate community. Oh boy, did we learn. The Sunday evening of homecoming week, just like we had last weekend, found me in surgery for a ruptured appendix. The staff at Mercy Memorial questioned whether I would even make it. The phone calls and visits demonstrated great concern. I was in the hospital for 10 days and recuperation was lengthy. Then the first Sunday night in June, about five weeks after my surgery, we got a call in the middle of the night saying that Bonnie's dad had been killed in a plane crash. He and his wife had gone down in the Pacific off the California coast and their bodies were never found. The support we received from this community was almost beyond belief. We were here until Thursday when we flew to California for the memorial service. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday saw a continual flow of members of our community sharing our grief. And then nearly three and a half years later, my dad died from a blood clot. Again, our community gathered around. Another three years later, the community gave great support when Bonnie was up in the U of M hospital for surgery. Others have apparently not felt the support as indicated by that anonymous letter you read. When we have needed it, it has been there. We greatly appreciate our faith community. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? That's what Galatians 6.2 is all about. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The community of the twisted kiss. I want to say something as pastor of this parish. You know, you and I may not be the world's most perfect community. I'll be the first to admit that. But I want you to know, as pastor here, I have observed that when it comes to suffering and bereavement and death, as Clark has described, I have not known, I have not met a community anywhere on earth that mobilizes more quickly and ministers more lovingly to the suffering and the bereaved here in Pioneer at Andrews University. I want to tell you something. You don't hear the comments from those who have gone through the ordeal. But to a woman, to a man, the word is the same. The depth of gratitude and appreciation. And I, I want you to know, you just keep on being who you are. God has given you a gift for that. It's to be the community of the, of the twisted kiss. We must never stop being this. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Twisted, kiss and all. We can fulfill that. That's what God's called us to be. Because when you share the twisted kiss, you lift the heavy burden. The Swedes are absolutely right. Shared joy is double joy. And shared sorrow, choom, cut it in half. I received a letter from a woman. Not in our community. And I wondered when I read the letter. I wonder if this is how you and I would behave. I want to read that letter to you. It's in the new book that just came out a month ago, The 11th Commandment, printed there. And so I'm just going to read it straight out of there. Dear Pastor Nelson, about five years ago, another close friend of mine died of AIDS. His name was Jack, and he died at the age of 34. Jack was baptized as an Adventist about 15 months before he died. And I knew him mainly from the weekly prayer meetings. Jack was infected with HIV several years prior to his joining the church. He never knew he had HIV until he got pneumonia. He survived the pneumonia, met some neighbors of his who were Adventists, and came into the truth through them. Good for them. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, the letter goes on, a few members of the church couldn't accept Jack because he had AIDS. Some stopped going to church and prayer meetings because he was there, and they feared catching AIDS from the air or sitting in the same room with him. 
My former pastor tried very hard to educate these people, but they didn't want to hear it. When pastor spent time in the hospital with Jack, every day before he passed away, good for you, pastor. Good for you. When he spent time in the hospital with Jack every day before he passed away, they would say something like, I hope our pastor won't get AIDS in the hospital and then come back and give it to all of us. How angels must weep in heaven for the hardness of hearts, even of professed Christians. Thank the Lord, Jack remained faithful until the end and even had a spirit of love and forgiveness towards those members who shunned him. Jack knew how much Jesus loved him and that was enough. I don't think an amen should go there. Quite frankly, I don't think it is enough. I don't think it is enough to know that Jesus loves you. If it had been enough, Paul would never have written the, the line, you, you, you bear each other's burdens. It's not enough for a human being. Well, he's, he knows Jesus loves him. It's not enough. It's not enough. How can I know an unseen God loves me when the followers of this unseen God don't love me? <laughs> what is this? There's a, there's a cognitive dissonance going on here. You need to bear, Paul says, hey, you need to bear each other's burdens. I wonder what those burdens include. Do you suppose the burdens of sin? Should we bear each other's burdens of sin? Irrespective of whether or not it's your particular brand of sin, your kind of suffering, should I still bear it? Should you? Listen, folks, I want to ask you, 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 you answer this. What right, what reason do we have to ever declare, hey, look, as long as your burdens and your brokenness are like my burdens, then I can bear them and I will carry you. As long as your burden is socially acceptable as a burden, I'll carry it. As long as your burden won't contaminate me or my reputation, sure. As long as your burden won't put me out or draw you in, I can handle it. I, I'll, I'll carry you. But if it's AIDS, or if you suffer from an addiction, or if you've been through a messy divorce or a ruinous affair, if you have screwed up your life to the place where sense and sensibility declare that it's best for me not to even be seen around you, then I will not carry your burden. <laughs> I cannot bear the cost of that load. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you remember, describes a community without grace as a fellowship of piety. And when we become a fellowship of piety, we simply say to one another, you're going to have to suffer alone, outside the camp, off of the campus, please. Either that... Or keep it secret so nobody knows. Then if we don't know, and you don't tell, you won't have to go. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the church has done to itself across the land? Do you know what campuses have done to themselves? Precisely because of that attitude, we, it is impossible now for churches and campuses in some places to become places of healing. Because those of us who struggle are not allowed the luxury of owning up to our struggles and confessing our own desperate need of community in the midst of my failing, in the midst of my falling. Don't, don't you dare tell them. We have created a fellowship of piety. It isn't safe. You get fired. You'll be lost. 
We won't create community for sinners. We only create community for saints. Which is why there's no community, because there are no saints in this place. You see, we, we've robbed ourselves of the opportunity to bring healing to people, because we want to just talk about it. Do you know what? I've had some people who are suffering with a life struggle sitting in my office. And they have said to me, Pastor, if only I could tell. If people could know what I'm going through, I could find strength from others. Their strength would become mine. But I can't tell because of what will happen when I tell. You see, we've cut them off from the, any possibility of grace within a community. Because we have no grace. That's sad. That is really sad. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Grace must be given an opportunity to heal. You know what, folks? I read this text, Galatians 6.2. I don't see any theological parameters there. Well, if he has this theological persuasion, you carry him. If she has this social parameter, you carry her. If he has this moral parameter, then you can carry. It just says bear all the burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, if they can't see a distant God in the name of God, if those who follow this distant God are not bearing the burdens, if we are not the community of the twisted kiss, there's no picture of God left. There is no picture of God left here. How did the woman put it in the letter? Jack knew how much Jesus loved him and that was enough. Nope, it's never enough. It is not enough. Hence the community of the twisted kiss. How shall we become this community? Uh, be just like the husband. Hey, be like the husband. Stoop over the burdened one. Embrace the burdened one. How do I do that, Dwight? Here they are. Three steps for bearing each other's burdens. Jot these down, will you? Step number one. I must break out of my comfort zone. Number one, I must break out of my comfort zone. Of course, it's never comfortable for me to move beyond a surface contact with you and to ask, hey, hey, come on, I heard what you said. How are you really doing? It's not comfortable because you might tell me. And if you tell me, I'm under obligation. Oh, brother, why did I ask? You want me to do something about this? I'm in a hurry. Just say fine and I'll see you later. You see, we say that to each other. How are you? Oh, fine, fine. How are you? Fine, fine, fine. We live in a university of fine people. But we're hurting. I have to break out of my comfort zone. President Bush put a commission together this week to study privatizing Social Security. But then Americans have been privatizing social stigma and personal pain for decades now. Which is why we're not comfortable stepping out of our, our privatization into someone else's privatization. It's so much easier and simpler for me to just, you know, I see you walk by my office door. Oh, I know what happened to him, but I don't want to say anything. It's so much easier to, I meet you on the sidewalk. It's so much easier to pretend I don't know, but the fact is, you know that I know, and I know that you know that I know, and we're playing a game. And when I don't say anything, and you know that I know, then you conclude, that boy doesn't care a rip about me. That's exactly what you conclude. And by the way, if I refuse to get out of my comfort zone, if I refuse to kind of suck it in, take a deep breath, screw up my courage, break out of that comfort zone, and go to you, then I really do not care. All the lip to the contrary, I don't care. Not enough to do anything for you anyway. Number one, 
I must break out of my comfort zone. Step, there are only three of these. Step number two, jot them down, will you? I must step into your burden zone. I must step out of my comfort zone. I must step into your burden zone. If I don't step in, you can't break out. If I'm not willing to get involved with you, you are stuck with that burden all by your lonesome. I have to break out of my comfort zone. I have to step into your burden zone. You're not interested in vague generalities, not when you're suffering. If you want to help me, boy, then talk about what I'm suffering from. Because nobody truly desires. I know you've met a few people around here that make you think otherwise. It's not true. Nobody desires to suffer alone. Nobody. When, you pu- when push comes to shove, nobody wants to suffer alone. But because, you see, you see when I'm suffering, I, I want to tell you about it, but I'm afraid to burden you, which is why, precisely why I need you to take the initiative. You are crazy if you're waiting for her to bring it up. She will never bring it up. If you are waiting for him to introduce the subject, it will never come up. You have to take the initiative. You have to step into that burden zone, out of your comfort zone, into that burden zone, if any burden is going to be borne. They're not going to bring it up to you. No. If you don't step in, I can't break out. Okay, there are just three of these. Number one, I must break out of my comfort zone. Number two, I must step into your broken zone. And number three, I must draw you into my friendship zone. Which doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, that we all become bosom buddies now. It won't work. But it does mean that I draw you into my community. You see, I may call up, a, call up a few friends. Hey, guys, come on, come here. i got somebody who's really in trouble here. I may want to take the initiative to bring you into a circle larger than my own so that if I can keep you in this community circle, your burden will stay lifted. You see, I've got to become a committee of one and begin to build a community of four or five. I've got to be there. I've got to take the initiative. It won't happen otherwise. And by the way, this, this makes sense, doesn't it? If it's just me coming to you, then you're going to say, you know, Dwight is an aberration. We can do that anyway. But Dwight is an aberration. He's kind of out of sync with everybody. Nobody else cares. But the moment I bring a buddy of mine in, a friend of mine in, and there are two of us now surrounding you, we've just created community. And suddenly you say, hey, 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 people love me here. See, you need, that's why we need community. It's not just two lone rangers. It's a community. Community of four or five. Three vital steps in bearing each other's burdens. Just in case you didn't get them, let's put them up on the screen again. Number one, I must step out of my comfort zone. Number two, I must step into your burden zone. And number three, I must draw you into my friendship zone. And you're saying, Dwight, what did you do? Concoct all of this? You come up with this? No, no, I actually got it from Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus did to save you and me. The three steps Christ took to carry our burdens, let's put them up on the screen. Number one, he broke out of his comfort zone in heaven. You know what? It would have been a whole lot easier to say, let that little planet in rebellion go to hell. I have an angel choir here. I have streets of gold. I'm not going down to that hell hole. He had to step out, number one, of his comfort zone. Number two, he had to step deeply into our burden zone of earth and sin. In the muck and the mire of human survival. He comes into this with us. And he says, I'm one with you. I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I am your keeper. That's why I came. I'm here for you. And then number three... Then he drew all he met into his friendship zone. With loving kindness, the old prophet says, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Come to me, for I have called you friends. He drew us 
into his friendship zone. Ladies and gentlemen, Calvary, that's what Calvary is. Out of God's comfort zone, into our broken zone, that is the friendship zone of the universe. Those outstretched arms of Calvary are saying, come, just as you are, I'll take you and I'll lift that burden. Your sin, I don't care what you have sinned, it's gone, it's over. I forget, I forgot. Remember what they said about Jesus? Luke chapter 15, verse 2. I love this. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) I know some churches that welcome sinners and eat them. That's not what this verse is about. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus built community out of sinners and we will never have community unless we build our community out of same said sinners. Martin Luther, oh, isn't this something? Look at this, Martin Luther. The kingdom, read community, is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom, read community of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with bad people, but with devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? End quote. Right on, Martin. Well said, Martin. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Until we kiss the sinner ourselves, we will never possess the community that Christ died to raise up. Oh, it is clear, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Graceless, loveless communities aren't community at all. I want to close now. We began the school year with the story of the death of a woman who was an alcoholic. You remember that story. I want to end the school year. With the story of the death of a man who was also an alcoholic. I just, I just heard this story two weeks ago. It has so moved my heart. I have to share it with you. Two weeks ago, Karen and I on that, uh, that free weekend flew out to uh, my parents' home church, Calamesa, Southern California, for their church retreat up in Pine Springs Ranch, which we conducted. And they were sitting around a table because some longtime friends from Japan days have, have come, up to the mount, come up the mountain for the retreat. And so we're sitting around the table and I learned the story. I want to tell you this story. It's about a boy, a boy who was a little older than I, an older missionary's kid in Japan. He was a lad full of spunk and an extra helping of the wild side of life. You know kids like that. In fact, I mean, he had so much of that wild side that missionary mothers would warn their little boys, as my mother did me, you don't ever want to grow up to be like Martin. Do you understand, boy? Well, we understood. Martin, who along the way was expelled from academy in Singapore, and who along the way grew up to become a man, and as I learned a couple of weeks ago, an alcoholic who broke his mama and papa's heart. But of course, they kept on loving their only boy as any parent would do. Martin became a very successful luxury boat salesman and eventually a dealer. Had everything this life could offer except sobriety and God. Relentlessly pursuing alcohol, finally just several months, maybe two or three months ago, 
His body finally in protesting reaction to that high consumption of alcohol, his body began to shut down. Martin turned to the only people he knew to turn to. He called mom and dad and they hurried him to the hospital. The doctors were somber and uncertain about the prognosis. But during a break in the medical intervention, Martin's father quietly reminded his grown-up boy that there was yet a Savior who was longing, longing to come into Martin's heart. And offer him the eternal life of God. But Martin, father whispered to him, Martin, the latch, the latch is on the inside. You've got to open the door. Father felt like to push any more, the Savior and salvation would be inappropriate at that point. A few hours later, Martin slipped into a coma. And he remained in that coma until his death. I say remained except for a brief and fleeting moment when his eyes opened and he saw his his father standing beside his hospital bed. And in that single moment, Martin whispered four words. Four words. His bereaved parents would cling to when they later would bury their grown son. For in that moment of brief consciousness, Martin whispered to his father, I found the latch. And he died. But there is a mother and a father alive today who believe with all their hearts, and I must tell you, I believe it with all my heart, that that was all grace needed and all God wanted. In His last breath, boy, grab that latch. Grab that latch. Tell me to come in. I'll save you just like that if you'd let me come in. I can't kick the door down. Do you see the latch? Open the door. He found it. That boy died saved. Because that's the way grace is. You're saved by grace. You're embraced by God. And that's the way it will ever be in the community of the twisted lips. I want to pray with you. And in this prayer, I'm going to make an invitation. I know I just, I, I really wrestled with this. When I realized that this story was going to come at the end of this sermon, I said, oh, Jesus, we just had an altar call last week. But the Lord says, hey, what's that to you? There may be a student here who hasn't found the latch yet, has gone through this entire school year and has not taken the latch. A student who on the last Sabbath of the school year, we just open the door, I come in. The whole past is gone. I'll wipe it away. But I need you to open the latch. There may be somebody here who once opened the latch years ago, months ago, but then the door has been slammed shut and tight. Tight as a coffin. I don't know. But I want to give an invitation. That much I know. So I want to pray with you. And then I want to invite some of you, please, 
I want you to respond. Give me Jesus. All you have to do is turn the latch. You can have him just like that. Just like that. You know, we make it so, we make it so difficult. We say, well, no, then what, what else do I have to do? Is there, is there something? Do I have to fill something out on a card? No, you don't. Martin breathed one last breath. He said, I found the latch. It's gone. Dead. Died saved. That's all you have to do. There's a man here. There's somebody watching on television right now and you have never, you've never found the latch to the door of your life. Right now. I'm telling you, sitting right there, I don't care where you are, right now you can take that latch and you can open that door. And the promise in Revelation chapter 3.20, how does it go? Behold, I stand at the door and... How does it go? I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will... I will come in to you. Got to take the latch. Let's pray. Oh God, how can we come to an end of a grace moment like this? This is Calvary. This is, this is, this is God. A God who at a boy's last breath can come flying through that door. I've been hoping all your life that you would open this door. And now you do it. I'm sorry we don't have more time together. But we're together. Because I live, you will live also. Oh God, why have we made grace so difficult? We can't show it because we don't know it. We haven't forgiven ourselves. We won't forgive our neighbors. We're trying so hard to wear the mask of piety. And it looks awful. Dear God, please, if grace can be like this, and you can save Martin with a dying breath, then think of what you can do right here and right now. And so, dear Father, I want to pray for the man right now who's sitting here and he's struggling. He knows that the latch is on his side of the door and he has not opened it. The student who's gone all this year, gone through the motions, but the heart, the last bastion to be given up to a forever friend. Dear God, do what you must do. Please, for the next few moments, make this a saving place. It's not about us. It's not about the school year now. It's about eternity. While every head is still bowed in prayer, i got to say, if there's somebody here who needs to open that latch, I wish you would get up out of your pew right now and come here to the front. Right now. And coming to the front, say, Jesus, I have, I have, I have, I have toyed with the idea, but today, my body declares what my heart confesses. I find the latch. And Jesus, I want you in. There's somebody in the balcony, in the overflow room, in the choir behind me, who needs today. I'm telling you, it, it never gets simpler than this. This is as simple as it gets. You take the latch, you turn it, open the door, and Jesus says, I will come in.
You open the latch once, but the door has been shut a long time. Isn't it time again to open that heart's door? Is anybody here? Anybody? God bless you. God bless you. We're not going to sing a song today. I'm not prolonging this. I, I just, I can't come to this moment without giving an invitation. Is there anybody else here today? Your heart is just saying, oh boy, I don't know. Well, if your heart is saying, I wonder, then that's a knock at the door. There's only one person that's going to knock at your heart today. It's not your enemy. He's lying as low as he can right now. He don't want you to, don't want you to move. But if you hear a knocking at that door, I wish you'd come just as you are. Just like Martin. You find life. You find it. He who has the Son has life. She who has the Son has life. You find it just like that. I want to invite some of our elders who are here to come, come forward. Will you right now, please? Stand by these. Is there anybody else? This isn't about church now. This isn't about Andrews University right now. This, this is about you and eternity. Anybody else? God bless you. I've got to sing a song. Just... Is there anybody else? Anybody. Nobody has to go home today with a latch locked. Nobody goes home lost. This, this is salvation. We've made salvation so complicated. And yet it's simply the reaching out. Opening the latch. Jesus said, you open, I'll do the rest. I will do the rest. He who opens the door and comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll never stay out of. Anybody else? This is the last Sabbath. I don't apologize at all for this. But if there's one more, and you need to respond, the back of the balcony, the front of the church, I wish you would. You see, if grace, if, if grace is this good... How could you say no to grace like this? I want to talk to the rest of us. Because the story of Martin has just really touched me to the core of my heart. You know, if God is that good with a man who's dying of his alcoholism, and God can save him on the threshold of death, that in the name of God, why would I allow anything to keep me from treating you the very same way? Who cares? All I know is that God has loved me. And out of the depth of that love, I want to love you with all my heart. I want to lift that burden. I've let you walk by my office door too long now. We've been on the same team and I have ignored your hurt. I want to break out of the cocoon that has kept me captive. I want grace to set me free. 
I want to live in love like Jesus did. This fellow who welcomed sinners and who ate with them. I want to be like Jesus and fulfill the law of Christ. You know, folks, it's time. We can, we can turn a new leaf. We spent a spring looking at community. We can turn a new leaf. We don't have to be the same way. Grace says, gone. The story behind a brand new community now. How many today? And I'm asking you to seriously ponder this. How many today would be willing to covenant? And I'm going to put myself on the line. That from henceforth, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will bear my brother's burden. I will carry my sister's hurt until that pain goes away and community heals that heart through grace. I will, by the grace of God. If you will covenant today to live in this new way, I wish you would stand right where you are. Don't jump just because somebody's jumping. You're saying to everybody who sees you standing, and the Lord Jesus Himself, you're saying, by Your grace, Holy Christ, I will live that grace. And I will live my life for the sake of bearing another's burden. Hallelujah. We can do it. Grace says... You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Without me, you can't do anything. But I will love through you. My grace is sufficient. And I will draw through you. And you will be my people, my community. Oh, Father, it is amazing. It is amazing, this grace. Save Martin just like that. Save these who came forward just like that. Holy Father, Oh, God, set us free with the spirit of Calvary's grace so that we might love as you love, so that we as a community, a campus, and a congregation might live as Jesus lived. It isn't about us, Father. It's about your heart that longs to reach out to six billion children and bring them home as soon as you can. Oh, love through us, we humbly pray. We're nothing. We're nothing. But love through us. Teach us to break out of our comfort zones. Teach us to step into those broken zones. Show us how to draw into our friendship zone and make us the people of Christ for the third millennium. And for these, dear God, oh, thank you for these. Go with him. Put your arm around him. Put your arm around her. And let this day be a quiet day of grace and new beginning. And now may the God who stepped out of his comfort zone and the Son who stepped into our broken zone. And the Spirit who draws us into His friendship zone. Abide with you and me. That we might be His community to the end of time. Amen.